Bravo Fox Pop, leveling On this week's episode of Skies Beyond Radio, we talk all things Beluga, an experience from The Ramp, and of course, last week's final question answered. Hey there everyone, Luke over at Skies and Beyond Radio and welcome to another weekly podcast. And we're going to kick it right off with last week's question actually revealed. Um, last week I mentioned there was a question, what year did Air Force One take off but never land? And that was a question I threw up there. And then recently I put up a question, uh, an answer box on my Instagram page, which a lot of people, you know, guessed, but they didn't really, there's only one person I think that had actually had the right answer. So Air Force One has flown many times and it has always taken off and landed where it's supposed to be. But there was one specific year where Air Force One took off, but never actually landed. And it's kind of like a trick question, but I will put it to you this way. So as most of you know, Air Force One is the only is a call sign only designated to the aircraft that the president is currently flying on, whether it's the 747 or the 757 or another different aircraft, whatever aircraft the president is currently on that would be considered Air Force One. So with that said, in 1974, um, Nixon was uh, leaving office and Ford was taking over for him. So what happened was Nixon took off from D.C. because he didn't stay for the uh, swearing-in of uh, President Ford. So while Nixon was flying you know, to his home, he was mid-air. It was still Air Force One. At the same time, Ford, of course, you know, was sworn in as the uh, President of the United States. Uh, that was the 38th President of the United States. And the moment he was sworn in, Air Force One's call sign changed from Air Force One to SAM 2700, I believe. So, in all reality, it was a trick question, but Air Force One took off from, I think, Andrews that day, and it never landed in its destination as Air Force One. It was switched over because a new president had been sworn in, and Nixon was no longer the president. So that's just the answer from last week's question. I know a lot of people um, had some crazy, not crazy, but some interesting answers for it like oh it was an air-to-air refueling or it was during 9-11 i think somebody said it flew into the bermuda triangle and never came back for a day or two i don't know but that was the pretty much the answer but now we're going to jump into the next topic and this is the hot topic of the week i mean last week we talked about i think it was in the middle of trying to figure out am i going to see this plane that i've always wanted to see and you know i actually did see it and of I didn't really hint at it very well, but um, what it came down to was it was the Beluga, and I was been it's probably my favorite plane ever, and there's a couple of reasons why, and I wanted to kind of talk about why I love the Beluga so much, not just because it's just so quirky and so strange looking, but there's a lot of different things um, that go into it. So last week it came into Portsmouth. Um, Air, um, Portsmouth, uh, it was a really, really late night. I think it was like 10 o'clock at night, and I had finished work, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go, and I 
everyone can kind of tell you this that knows me. I never take photos uh, that are have bad weather conditions. But however, this was the only only time I actually. I think I actually made it a really good attempt to go take a photo of an aircraft, even when it was terrible conditions. So I drove all the way out there. I sat at the end of runway 16, um, and I just was like, maybe I'll just. I'm, I was hoping that the aircraft would go full length and it would turn right in front of me, and I, you know, I was gonna crank the um, the aperture all the way down to 1.8 and try to like just get what I can. And I think thought to myself, I was like maybe I should go to the beginning of uh, one six and see if I can catch it on the arrival. I think the cool contrast of the clouds might help, but I didn't really want to take a chance. So I kind of just like left it as is sat there at the end of one uh, six and I saw it come in and unfortunately it did not go full length. It just stopped just enough where it turned right off in one of the shorter uh, taxiways. So I missed the arrival, but I was like, you know what? I came all the way out here. Let me sweep, swing on over to the terminal and check it out. And I'm glad I did. Now, I will say it was pouring rain at that time. I mean, pouring rain, it was really windy. We were looking probably, I think it was like 10 to 12 knot gusts. And it was just a ton of, just it was just bad weather. And I was like, I don't know what I'm thinking or what I'm doing, but this is stupid. I think I had shorts on, um, my sweater, and I had a rain jacket on. So I'm sitting at the terminal with a bunch of other people there, and other, other spotters that wanted to see it. Some of these spotters actually went to the end of, at the beginning of 1-6, and they got the arrival, which was actually really, really good. Good on them. Uh, like I said, you gamble with where you want to be placed when you're trying to catch photos of an aircraft. So, you know, I, I gambled, and I didn't win that time. So, I waited for a while, let everyone take their photos. There's one spot where you can kind of take a shot, pretty like a, a long, like a long exposure. And I just let, you know, let everyone else take their photos. And I got a couple shots, and then I was, I looked at them in the car, and I was like, yeah, these are terrible. I'm like, well, you know, at least I saw it. And then um, a buddy of mine came and knocked on my window and said, you know, you're going to stay for another shot, another chance to take a picture. And I was like, yeah, but as well, I drove all the way out here. So, so it's a 40-minute drive for me, roughly. And so I waited, and some people started leaving, and I was standing underneath this overhang, and I was waiting for another spotter to start stop taking pictures. He did, and I went out there, and I stood there for ever with my camera covered with a jacket and I was just it was on a tripod waiting for a long exposure and it's just pouring rain and I'm like why am I just standing out here waiting for this stupid picture and then I looked at the aircraft and I was like I know why because this aircraft means a lot to me I don't know really why where it's the infatuation started coming for this aircraft but it's just such a cool aircraft but finally, in the last, I mean, I had to wait just a couple minutes, but it was just, it was like this two-minute break, and it stopped raining, and the wind stopped. And if anyone can, knows long exposure photography, you know you have to have, like, almost no wind, a steady hand, a steady tripod. You don't want any of that stuff getting affected. So it stopped. I opened up the, took the cover off everything off the camera, set my long exposure, Got two good shots, and then moment I got the second good shot, it started pouring again. I grabbed my stuff, ran back to the car, and I was like, you know what? I'm not risking thousands of dollars of camera gear just for any more shots. So I looked it over, and I was like, well, you know what? Those actually came out pretty okay, so I'll take what I can get, and that was that. Seems a little anticlimactic, but um, so after the next day, it flew down to Florida. I gave a couple spotters there a little bit of a heads up and said, you know, hey, we're going to, 
you know, the beluga's heading your way. Don't know the exact airport, I'll let you know. And then all of a sudden it popped up on the uh, jet tip. And I think I tweeted the photo out the next day. I think jet tip used it as a um, cover for their tweet to let everyone know that it was on its way. And so it went down to Florida. I was carrying a satellite. And uh, I think the satellite was worth like four hundred dollars or $500,000. And it was going back up. And, um, excuse me, sorry, I forgot to turn my notifications off. Um, anyways, uh, so it went down there, and I was hoping to see it on its way back, but it never actually came back. So it didn't stop back in Portsmouth on its way home to uh, France. It actually went straight to Canada. It didn't really like Portsmouth, apparently, that much, and it went for some nice poutine and uh, colder temperatures. So it went straight up to Canada and then went you know, straight back to Europe. So we did get a chance to see it for the people that did get to see it. You know, it's a really, really cool aircraft. And I think we, I can kind of break it down just a little bit more now and kind of just let you know, like, this is why I think this aircraft is so cool. And there's lots of reasons, but let's just pick a few that I think are the best reasons. All right, so jumping right into it, the Beluga for, took its first flight in 1994. It was actually September 13th. And it was an airplane. There's an aircraft designed to carry these massive... Uh, you know, loads of freight that just couldn't fit into pretty much any other aircraft. Um, it has the largest cargo volume of any aircraft, I think, in the world. I think I have to double check that. Um, but it was designed to have these like extraordinary large internal space to accommodate these payloads. Like I said, that just wouldn't fit anywhere else. And the is probably it's definitely a workhorse for that matter. Um, now they have the Beluga, that's the regular one. Then there's the XL. Um, that they're they have out as well and um, more so the Airbus Beluga was extremely complicated to build it's not just one of those things like you can just put it together send it out and it's on its merry way so in, in all reality um, there are a total of, of five of the original behemoth sized Belugas in service for the Airbus manufacturing company um, each took a year to build roughly and the parts were made at a variety of different places all over Europe. The components to build this aircraft were all brought in and the final construction of the Belugas were, uh, all took place in uh, Toulouse in France and that's where a lot of them fly out. So uh, furthermore, it's the uh, fully loaded, the weight of it is like astronomical. So the Beluga is a heavy plane when it's completely loaded. I mean, the weight is like, a, I think it's a massive, massive like 86 tons when the craft is empty just empty it has a payload uh, weight capacity of 47 tons so when you add these to get two together the total weight of the beluga when fully loaded and fully fueled is 133 tons and this weight is lifted up into the air and successfully transported to its intended destinations by amazing um, work uh, engines that you know power and we'll talk a little bit more about the engines especially on the xl uh, in a little bit um, so the, I was talking about the Beluga coming to Portsmouth you know it was carrying a satellite um, the Beluga used to carry the like, parts of the space station so the, this amazing aircraft fills you know, pretty much an important need for a lot of different things but especially in the aerospace industry it not only carries airplane components the manufacturing sites but it's been used to help further progress further the progress of space travel and uh, the I think it was um, March 2006, I have it written down here, the Beluga carried the Columbus module um, for, um, to be put into space. 
and it's one of the few craft that were large enough to complete the task. So here's my most interesting aspect of the beluga, and this is kind of like where people can say this is the highlight, I think the highlight of the podcast. So this is, and this is the reason why I love this aircraft. So it's not just the aircraft, but it's more the fact that it's like this weird kind of Frankenstein kind of put together aircraft. Now you see this big old, you know, bulbousy thing flying around or taxiing around and it's like, wow, that looks very unique and very interesting. But it's more so than just that. Uh, so every Beluga, minus I think the XL, the XL is roughly the same idea, but was manufactured as a modified Airbus A300-600. Um, the alterations of the A series, including make uh, they made cuts in inserted, uh, they sort of like a wider fuselage that gave the aircraft this, that huge bubble on top that everyone knows. Now uh, this gave the Beluga a large hump that massively increased its cargo capacity. And the lower cockpit made it possible to unload the cargo from the front of the aircraft versus the back, say, like on a C-17 or a C-5 or so on and so forth. So more so than that. So the whole aircraft is an A300-600, but that's mostly just the front of the aircraft, right? The um, They extended the cargo compart- component of it so it's like wider and taller. The vertical stabilizer is a modified A380 vertical stabilizer. The interior cockpit is another interesting fact of it. So the flight management computer within the Beluga thinks it's an A300-600. And I don't think they've ever changed it. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't think they've ever changed it. So it still thinks it's an A300, but it's not. It's got this huge you know, dome on top of it that it's dragging and... When the pilots um, have to calculate all their information, it, the FMC will spit out all the numbers based off of an A300, and they have to adjust, you know, V speeds, um, landing speeds, you know, different flap speeds. All they always have to do it by by hand, so they'll get the numbers and then they have to kind of recalculate everything because it, honestly, it thinks it's an A300, but it's really not. Um, also, the strange fact about it is that the overhead panel is very reminiscent of an MD-11. It's got a lot of the switches and gauges kind of like that may resemble the MD-11. Uh, the center console is very Airbus-ish and the FMC is very Boeing-ish. Um, not Boeing, but very it's very close. And then, of course, the major distinction between Airbus and Boeing, and this is one of the biggest ones, is in Airbus, you have a side stick and you control the entire aircraft using a side stick, kind of like a joystick if you were playing Flight Simulator or some other kind of video game. Um, however, and then Boeing is a yoke. So now we're talking about the Airbus, the Beluga Airbus should have a side stick. It doesn't, it has a fully automated yoke. So it's a yoke instead of a side stick. So now we're looking at multiple different components that are just completely just all out of whack. And I think that's really what makes the aircraft interesting. It's not so much that it's the appearance, but it's also all these little components that go within it as well. So with that said, um, we can talk about the Beluga XL, which didn't come to the States. It was just the regular Beluga. But when the Beluga XL was put into production and it was finalized, um, the let's just, you could talk about the engines. And I said, that, you know, it requires a lot of power to pick up this aircraft and put it in the sky, 
carrying these massive components. So a bigger plane means a bigger engine. And so in this case, two engines. And the Beluga XL has two Rolls-Royce Trent 700 turbofan engines to power it into the sky. Each one of these engines alone is $40 million. So the entire program to build these flying giants costs roughly over $1 billion. Now that's a good chunk of change. But these you know, engines were very, very important uh, to have you know, just so we can have that kind of power. So looking further more into it, you know, people might ask, you know, well, what has the Beluga carried? I mean, we've talked about space stations. We've talked about, you know, it's, it was designed to carry different aircraft components from one facility to another. But there are a few different um, cargo, cargoes, cargo, or excuse me, cargoes that the Beluga has carried. Um, I can go just not in order, kind of in order, but in 1999, it carried a painting of the Liberty Leading the People. I think it was by Eugene Delacroix, which it was hung in the Louvre in Paris. So it was flown from Paris to Tokyo um, via Baron and Kolkata in about 20 hours. Now that's, of course, fuel stops because it's not going full way the whole time. Uh, the large canvas was about 10 feet tall and about 11 feet long, and it was too big to fit into like a Boeing 747. So they transported it in a vertical position inside um, inside the Beluga, and in, within the Beluga, it had its own special pressurized container, and it was provided with um, like isothermal protection and any anti-vibration device, because um, you know these paintings were you know very very important. In 2004, it was used to deliver relief supplies into the Indian Ocean. Um, and then in 2005, and somebody asked me this, they said, they said, this is, they think that, they thought that this was the first time the Beluga had ever come to the States, which was not necessarily true. But in 2005, um, it did, uh, was employed to transport humanitarian aid and medical supplies from the United Kingdom um, and France to the Gulf Coast of the United States. And of course, it's the same time to support uh, the disaster relief operations after Hurricane Katrina. So those are just a few different interesting um, aspects of cargo that they had carried. Uh, moving on further, uh, I think the longest, I'm trying to remember where it's at, but there is, oh, here we go. Yes, perfect. In 1997, the second year of Beluga operations, um, the fleet accumulated in excess of 2,500 flight hours across more than 1,400 flights. And by 2012, the fleet was performing roughly about 5,000 flight hours per year. So Airbus expected this figure to double by, two, double by 2017, which it did. And then, you know, after a few years, it kind of stabilized. And then COVID happened. And then, of course, here we are to this day. Furthermore, I think one of the longest flights ever in uh, 2000. Three, um, they perf was uh, roughly around 25 hours. So that was the longest flight the Beluga has ever um, conducted. And these weren't including fuel stops, or, or excuse me, not including refueling stops. And they were transporting two uh, complete, actually outfitted helicopters along with a single Eurocopter Tiger attack helicopter. And it went from Marseille, France, all the way down to Melbourne, Australia for the Avalon Air Show. And I, you know, that's a long flight, but these, you know, these aircrafts, they're not, they're not moving at a high rate of speed. We're not talking, you know, supersonic flight here. And you, I mean, they're dragging, they got this huge, you know, 
head. There, there was a one. What was the aircraft? I think it was like called. They called it the Flying Forehead. But um, I think that was the Airbus Skylink. It was like the Super Guppy. I think that was back in '84. I think they used to call it the Flying Forehead. It was just a massive forehead just flying in the sky. But um, that's a long little bit of distance. But anyways, we're moving on. I you know after the Beluga left Portsmouth, I, I shot some messages down to some spotters down in Florida, and I said, hey, if you guys don't have a school or if you don't have this or don't have that. Go see this because this is very, very rare. You you need to see this if you have the opportunity. I never don't. I wouldn't recommend anyone missing class or anything like that. But definitely have a chance. Go down to Sanford, uh, Florida, and go see the Beluga because it is highly, highly sought after in the aviation community. And it's also, you know, like I said, it's extremely rare. You don't see them come to the states very often. But um, MCO Spotting uh, sent me a message, and he, you know, got the heads up about it, and he got a chance not only to see it, he got a, a better picture than I did. Um, now all pictures, you know, equally are great. But, you know, he had no rain, the sun was out, you know, there was a little bit of contrast in the sky, so he got a great picture of it. But he also had a chance to spend some time on the ramp with it before it left. And I thought this was so cool, so I reached out to him. I said, you got to answer some questions for me like what was your experience like so right now we'll just what i'll do is you know i sent him a couple questions and we pre-recorded all this but i'll put it together and we'll get some of his you know feedback and responses from some of the questions that i had uh, regarding his experience with the beluga all right so kmco spotting jason uh, is also known as kmco spotting it's uh orlando international airport and in the past, a couple months ago, I was able to do a, a collaboration post with him, and I thought it was a really, really awesome photographer. I stumbled across his photos while scrolling through Instagram one day, and I was like, wow, this guy is really talented. You know, he's got a really keen eye for lighting and for cropping, and he just knows kind of where to go. And I was like, I have to do a collab with this guy, which actually started off with, uh, that kicked off like a whole week of doing collaboration posts with different spotters from around the country and the world. But uh, he's from uh, Orlando, Florida, and he you know loves plane spotting, traveling, and pretty much anything to do with aviation. And the thing that was more surprising to me was he's only been spotting for about a year and a half. And I was like, wow, this guy's really, really good for just being only a year and a half into it. But um, I wanted to shoot him some questions because I wanted to get his feedback. I was trying to get, figure out how to way I can do this like a live interview, but I kind of ran out of time. So the best uh, option for me was to send him over some questions and be like, hey, you know, can you let me know what your experience was um, with you know, catching the Beluga? This is like an aircraft, like I said, that a lot of people would have loved to see. So, you know, not holding anything back from this, we'll just jump right into it. But I said, one of the first questions I asked him was, you know, what were your first thoughts when you knew the Beluga was on its way? I also asked him, you know, was the Beluga on your bucket list for, you know, all-time catches? And what other aircraft are also on that list minus the Beluga? Uh, I also asked, well, how was being able to stand so close to the Beluga? And, you know, what are or is your favorite aspect of the aircraft in general? And lastly, if you could do it all over again, would you and why? And these are his responses. What were my first thoughts when the Beluga came? Well, can't even explain it. I was sitting in class and I got a message from one of my friends saying Beluga was coming to Sanford. And I was like, no way. So I went on flight radar. I tracked the Beluga. She was actually on her way. So I was like, 
well, I have to leave school. So I left school early, raced my way over to Sanford, grabbed my camera, grabbed all my gear, got there, saw her land, miraculous landing from that giant thing. So, oh my God, it was crazy. So um, yeah, so when she landed, she taxied back over to the cargo and we didn't expect her to uh, come that close to the fence. And uh, no, but when she came, she came right up to the fence and uh, it was just definitely a treat to see her for the first time uh, taxiing to uh, Sanford. The Beluga was definitely on my bucket list aircraft to catch. She wasn't number one. Number one is uh, Air Force One for me. I was supposed to be catching it a couple weeks ago, but got canceled. So we have to wait another day. Beluga was number two. So I was so happy to catch that. I was not expecting to check off my bucket list on uh, this week, but out of the blue, she came, so I was super happy, super stoked to catch her. Uh, number three is Boeing's Dreamlifter, the 747 uh, cargo transporter that they use. Hopefully, I'll be able to get it in Charlotte this year. That is definitely one of my goals. On October 17, the Beluga came back to Sanford after landing in Cape Canaveral to drop off the satellites that they brought over from Europe. Initially, I was not going to catch her again because it was arriving at night at school the next day. So I was not initially going to catch that, but then uh, I decided to go because who knows the next time the Beluga is going to be coming into Florida. So it was about 7 o'clock, 7.30. I took my gear, went over to Sanford. I missed the landing by five minutes. So I was like, okay, it's, 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 it's all right. I got her landing um, two days before that. So went over the cargo ramp. She pulled in like she did before, pulled in right next to the fuel trucks and dropped the engines. Got some good pictures, but it was a night, so it wasn't as clear. And a millionaire was actually in charge of that cargo or charter operation. It's one of the FBOs at Sanford. So I, once I got all my pictures that I wanted from the fence, I was like, let me shoot my shot. So I walk over to the FBO. By the way, millionaire has a fantastic FBO if you guys uh, get the chance to. So I walk in the FBO, I see the front lady desk, the lady at the front desk. And I'm like, hey, how you doing, ma'am? You know, I'm a plane spotter. And I was just admiring the beluga from afar. She was like, oh, yeah, it's very nice, very nice. And uh, she's like, would you like to go out there and take some pictures or walk around? I was like, I would love to. So she said, all right, let me go ahead and wait for my operations manager and he'll come back. So he's in the lounge for a little bit. And he comes out. He's like, hey, what's your name? Jason. And I was like, oh, the guy, the guy named was Greg. He said, oh, hey, Greg, nice to meet you. And he said, all right, hop on. Let's go. I was like, wow. So I hopped in the golf cart. We went all the way over and... We stopped right at the nose of the beluga. I was like, no way. So we got out. He's like, here, I have to go. But here, you have a couple minutes to walk around, take some pictures. Like, fantastic. So, and while I was walking around, I had this other um, operations guy following me because it was a, a secure airport, Sanford. But nonetheless, super nice guy as well. His name was James, I believe. So we were walking around the aircraft, taking pictures, videos, trying to take some pictures with my camera. It was in, uh, an experience of a lifetime, that's for sure. Now, one of my specific or favorite parts of the Beluga, one, the Beluga, not, it's not the XL, so it was the very first Beluga ever built, or number three. Um, that Beluga is made off of the A300. So A300 is actually one of my favorite aircraft, and this one makes it even better. So what is super unique about the Beluga is obviously the big hump on the top, right? But also the cockpit actually has to dip, dip down or curves down. So it's actually super low to the ground in the front, which is one of the most unique stuff or things about the Beluga. Uh, I would say the second one is uh, probably the stabilizers on the tail. Those are 
huge, massive to compensate for all the weight on top. That was awesome, super cool. And another, I would say, is the two engines. You know, the Dreamlifter uses four. Like it's uh, off of a 747, but the Beluga, all she needs is just those two little turbines, two little engines to power that with all the cargo. So that is definitely the unique aspects that impressed me and I love about the Beluga. Would I do it again? I would do it again in a heartbeat. Definitely one of my top aviation experiences that I had so far. Got to see the Airbus Beluga, which is on my bucket list, one of my favorite aircraft of all time. Uh, the people over there, uh, the operations, the manager, everybody super friendly. Got to let me on the ramp, you know, take pictures. It was fantastic. I just cannot wait until she comes back again. Nonetheless, might be 15 years, but at least I got the opportunity and it was one that I'll definitely remember for a lifetime. Wow, what a great story. I want to say thank you so much to Jason. You really, you know, made this podcast, you know, worthwhile, even though I, I, I find it worthwhile myself, but you really added to it. And I just want to say thank you. And I really appreciate all your feedback from this. Hearing it from someone else's perspective, you know, being able to get on the ramp and stuff like that, you know, good on those operations guys down there, you know, being friendly at an airport, you know, is really vital to plane spotters. But um, just what a cool experience, and I'm glad you had the opportunity to do that, uh, and glad you had a chance to see the aircraft, you know, and I hope it's not going to be another 15 years, but we'll see when she'll come back. Anyways, uh, if you guys wanted to be featured on the podcast, you know, shoot me a message in my Instagram page or on my website, and you can, you know, ask to be featured. And if you have any cool aviation stories, I'll try to do one every now and then, but uh, just let me know. Um, what your you know cool stories are and uh, we'll try to get them featured on the podcast and even though this kind of dragged over a little bit longer than i wanted expected i don't have any questions and answers this week but i because i had the uh interview with jason there but i want to just end it with uh another kind of trivia question and this one might be a little bit easier for some and maybe not for some others who knows but I will end the podcast with this question alone, and you can answer it. I'll have the answer next week in the uh, podcast as well. But here's the question for the week. Despite its name, what is the actual color of the black box in an airplane, which is also known as the flight data recorder? So what's the actual color of the black box if it's not black? And you can find out next week. Uh, the answer in next week's podcast, or you can shoot me your answers in my uh, Instagram page or on my website. And I want to say thank you once again to Jason. Thank you to all the listeners. And I hope you really enjoyed this week's podcast. And we will catch you next week. Until then, happy spotting and enjoy yourselves. Vancouver 1337, uh, Air Canada 24. T070, Canadian uh, 986. And do you want us to go direct direct now or just uh, on that heading? Okay. 337, see ya.